0: Leviticus chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. If you'll turn there in your Bibles, I hope you have one with you or a digital copy or a paper copy. Just reminded, singing those songs, it's uh, the goodness of God is overwhelming. Uh, We're going to talk about that a little bit as we get into this. It's also amazing still when uh, God speaks to me through, uh, you know, through his word and, and kind of gives me direction on where we need to go as far as the teaching. And then uh, he's speaking to Grayson separately, and yet we still line up with songs like The Goodness of God, and There Is a Fountain Filled with Blood. Uh, We're going to talk about the blood today, as we've been talking about for the last three weeks, Uh, the fact that we need atonement. That's kind of our focus as we work through Leviticus. Uh, Lord willing, next week we're going to finish up. Uh, I will give you just, y'all don't really care about this, but I have a lot more peace today than I've had for the last few weeks because this week, late Thursday afternoon, I finally sort of felt like the Lord sort of landed me on how to, how to teach the next two of the sacrificial offerings. And we're going to do those two next week. Again, Lord willing, unless he changes my heart. And so there's a, a big relief because I didn't know exactly how to get those two in and, and kind of how to capture everything. And so I came, came to that Thursday, and so I've got a, a great piece about that. And, and uh, that leaves me to be able to be more excited about teaching and talking this morning, preaching to you about the, the third of the atonement sacrifices that we see. And this one is, uh, is a little bit different, but there's a lot of similarities for, with the other two. Now, again, I want to remind you, the term make atonement in the Hebrew is kafar, and it means to cover, to forgive, or to reconcile. And the meaning reflects more the covering by imposing something in the place of rather than just sweeping under the rug, hiding in the closet. This is a, a, a replacement By the blood of Jesus, he sacrificed his life so that we could take our sin and exchange it for his righteousness. We talked about in Leviticus 1, the burnt offering, and that is for the removal of our sin. We talked about the grain offering in Leviticus 2, which is for restoration to his service. And then today in Leviticus 3, we're going to look at the peace offering, which is also called the fellowship offering. And it's for reconciliation to our sovereign. Now, this was a reconciliatory act that they would do. It's a free will offering, but they would offer this sacrifice in a way to be reconciled back to God. It was a voluntary offering, unlike the previous two, which were prescribed. There's a couple of differences. the The priest in this offering, the high priest, was given the the breast of the animal, and then the priest who was actually administering the sacrifice would get the right front leg. Now, these were referred to as the wave offering or the and the heave offering because they were held up or waved above. Altar. You're going to see here as we read in just a few minutes uh, in the text that the fat, the kidneys, the lobe of the liver were all burnt, symbolizing giving them to God. By the way, if you ate breakfast right before you came this morning, shame on you. you Should have been in grow group. Uh, The rest of the meat was eaten as a symbol of a fellowship meal with God by the one offering the sacrifice, his family, guests, and others with God. But here's the here's the catch, okay? Everybody who partook of the offering had to be ceremonially clean. So you couldn't come in and eat. Even though there were prescribed allowances for enjoying the food from the offering, you couldn't take part in that unless you were ceremonially clean. So I'm going to ask a few questions this morning, but here's the one that I don't want you to answer out loud, okay? I want you just to think about this. It's an important question. It's something for you to ponder. If you could not come into this building this morning... Shake hands, hug necks, sing songs about and to Jesus. Hear the word priest. If you could not come in here unless you were clean before God, how many of you would have had to stay home? I'm not asking you to answer out loud, but I'm encouraging you to answer that question to yourself. Uh, Psalm 24, 4, Who can ascend to the mountain of God? The one with clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands, meaning there's no sin that I'm aware of. There's no, there's no uh, habitual sin that I'm participating in. And a pure heart means that I am as right as I know how to be with God and others. So I don't have anything that I can bring here knowing that I'm coming to God in an unclean fashion. With that being said, how many of you could have come this morning if that was the requirement that God had for you to be here? But that was the requirement for them to take part in this meal. Now, let me ask another question, and this one I do want you to answer and be honest, because some of y'all are weird. Just statistically speaking, there are weirdos among us. If you don't believe me, go look at the comment section on any of the news stations that post things and see people comment, and you just sit there looking at them going, My goodness, these people walk among us. What in the world? <laughs> All right, here's the question I want you to answer with a raised hand How many of you enjoy eating meals? With complete strangers. Just raise your hand. See, I told (laughs) y'all. I'm just kidding. I don't. And and you see the majority of people don't. I love how many of y'all like hibachi? Man, listen, I'm here for the hibachi. I like the shtick, I like the egg tricks, I like the mountain made out of onion rings. All the give me all the jokes. You know, listen, all of it. Butterfly, I love butterfly. I mean, look at me, you can tell I love butter, you fly it, as long as you fly it over here and it's rice, I'm good, <laughs> but here's the thing I don't like about hibachi, when me and April were younger, back when the kids were little, we would go out on dates together, and, and listen, to this day, Lanny's not in here, she's so thankful of that, she's watching the kids today, she's, she probably still today, y'all went last night, didn't you, where's Bryson at, did she get scared when they lit the fire? She, free, she she's, she's, she's scared to death of the fire. So we wouldn't take them. We would go by ourselves. And, and when you're a couple of two and you go to a hibachi restaurant, guess what you get to do? You get to sit with people you don't know. And I didn't like it. It's weird. You're sitting down. You're sitting next to somebody. You're typically squeezed in around this little griddle thing. And you're going, hey, how you doing? And you're like, this is so awkward. I don't know these people. But here's the thing. In most cultures, there is some level of friendship required in order to share a meal together. Like most cultures wouldn't really do the hibachi thing when you don't know people. They would at least make some kind of introduction because there are cultural uh, norms where they, they, you have to have some level of friendship in order to break bread together, to share a meal together. Here's what I want you to understand. In this offering, the peace offering or fellowship offering, that was exactly what was taking place. It was like God inviting the worshiper to dine with him Through their sacrifice. Now that's the difference between this and the other offerings. The other offerings, that was not the case. But in this offering, it was symbolic of God saying, Hey, Fran and Jean, y'all come on in and have a seat at my table. And we're going to share. You brought the meat and the priests are going to cook it and we're going to eat it together. This is, this is a very intimate thing that God would allow us to be part of, especially for the Old Testament relationship. Under the Old Covenant, there was not a lot of these things that were so intimate where God and man could sit together and eat. Now, by the way, we're going to call this the peace offering just because it's easier to say than fellowship, but I don't care which one you call it. The two words in Hebrew are very similar. The word for fellowship is shalem. And the word for peace is shalom. So they're very similar words, and so you can use either one. But just for simplicity's sake, we're going to talk about this today as we go forward as the peace offering. Because you're at peace with God when you sit at His table. Now if you would, let's stand and let's read the first five verses of Leviticus chapter 3. If you're visiting with us today, thank you so much for being here. If it's your first time, we would love for you to fill out one of those connect cards in the chair. Uh, I know you're probably thinking, why is it guy to standing? This is something we do. We stand in honor of the public reading of the inspired, inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient word of Almighty God. Never take that for granted. You are holding in your hands this morning words of God. So let's read. It says, if his offering is a fellowship offering and he is presenting an animal from the herd, whether male or female... He is to present one without blemish before the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head of his offering and slaughter it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, will splatter the blood on all sides of the altar. Pause. Leviticus 17.11 tells us that the the essence of a being, the life of a being, is in its blood. Hebrews 9.22 reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. There can be no forgiveness. So while it is kind of gross, To think about this, this is symbolic of the coming Messiah. You think it was gross to slit the throat of an animal and have the priest splatter the blood on an altar? Imagine how gross it was for the sinless Son of God to be brutalized, beaten beyond recognition, stripped naked and nailed to a cross. Look at me for you. When we're reading these Old Testament texts, Never, ever lose sight of the fact that Jesus was our lamb. Verse 3. He will present part of the fellowship sacrifice as a fire offering to the Lord. The fat surrounding the entrails, all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat on them at the loins. He will also remove the fatty lobe of the liver with the kidneys. Aaron's sons will burn it on the altar along with the burnt offering that is on the the burning wood, a fire offering of a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, bless today the reading of your word, the preaching of your word for your glory, for our good, God, please, please speak to us today. As we take time to listen, please, God, let us hear your voice and let us respond in obedience, and we'll give you glory for it. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So I want to talk about three things in this offering that we see in the text relating to and, and associated with the other offerings but while we're doing that I also want to give some, some uh, extrapolation of what these verses and this, this text means not only in the original context but how we can see practical application for us today and then at the end I'm going to ask you to be patient because at the end I really want to walk out some New Testament scriptures that line up with what we're talking about in this text from Leviticus chapter 3. So the first thing I want to look at is uh, that there are some similarities. There are some similarities between the peace offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering. The first one, A, if you're taking notes there on your sheet, it is a personal offering. Look at verses 1 and 2. It is from the herd. So it, it's, it's still, there's a personal relationship. These people know this offering, they have been around it. They've raised it. Maybe they even named it. Uh, I find that strange. As much as I love steak, I don't want to know that I'm eating fluffy or lucky or whatever. You know, it's just, that's weird to me, but I don't know. Maybe some of that was going on. It, it was also very expensive still, but it was with some flexibility. You see, the other offerings had to be a male for the burnt offering, and here we see it can be a male or a female. Uh, we also see that it was personal because you had to lay your hand on it And slaughter it yourself. See, I I wouldn't bring my sacrifice and go, okay, priest, here you go. Do what you got to do. I don't want to be here. I don't want to see it. I don't want to know about it. No, you would have to lay your hand on the head of that animal. Remember what we talked about. There's a transference there. There's a, 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 an understanding that you are uh, transferring your guilt onto this animal, and this animal is taking your punishment for you. There, there's, a, there's a very personal aspect to this that you had to bring it. It was your animal. You laid your hand on it. You recognized and, and affiliated yourself with that animal, and then you slaughtered it. Then the priest would sprinkle the blood. It was still a very personal activity. B, if you're looking at it on your note sheet, the second thing is about it, it was a perfect offering. The similarities are are lining up here with the burnt offering and the grain offering. It had to be without blemish, the second part of verse 1, which meant it was was not the cast off. Listen, God knows the human heart, and he knows that if he doesn't tell us that we have to give our very best, our very best, that what we would do is we would give him the, the cast-offs. Uh, we would give him the animal that really is not going to make that much money if we sell it anyway. You know, the the one with one eye or the one with a, a, a messed up leg or the one that, that you know, just... Kept chewing on the fence post. I mean, just you know that his mind wasn't not like it ought to be. He just. We would take that one and say, "Well, there, you just identified yourself as the next one going to the t- to the to the tent, there, pal. You know the one that that butted you in the back of the leg when you were trying to put out the food. All right, we're gonna name you Slaughter because you're going to the tent tent this week. That's not what they would do. Our personality is that we want to give God leftovers. Now, by the way, you may say that's not you. I bet it is. Number two. It's me. If I'm not careful, I don't give God my very best just out of, out of, out of activity, out of action, out of knee-jerk. I have to make a concerted effort to make sure that I'm bringing God my best. It's amazing to me how consistent my flesh is with doing the wrong thing. If your flesh was a free-throw shooter, it would be Shaquille O'Neal. Your flesh is not going to make the right decisions. If you leave it to itself, it will hurt you every time. That's why, again, you've heard me say this before. People say, oh, just follow your heart. Oh, follow your feelings. Your, trust your gut. No. The Bible says that your heart is, is wicked. It's desperately evil, and who can know it? If you follow your heart, it's going to lead you to trouble. It's going to lead you to sin. It's going to lead you to selfishness. Again, God knows our heart, so he doesn't just let us bring any old animal out of the herd. We would bring the most busted up, wrecked up, tore up looking animal. You know, you bring it up there and they're like, what is that? I don't even know that, what, what is that a lamb, a goat, a sheep, a, a bull? It's just, it's mangled up looking. Yeah, you know, we would like franken animal. That's what we'd bring. We'd like stick one together and bring it up there like Weekend at Bernie's. You know, we'd, that's our offering. And that's not God. God says it's got to be a perfect offering. It's got to be without blemish. That also means it's a pricey offering because it's not one that's not going to make you a lot of money at the sale. It's the very best that you have. The third thing about it that's similar is that it's a pleasing offering. Look at verse 5. It says a pleasing offering to the Lord. Now, I love a good barbecue as much as anybody. I love to smell whatever kind of meat you've got. If you put it on a grill... I'm probably going to give it a shot. Now, probably going to be your odds are better if you don't tell me what it is, if it's something weird or nasty. Uh, but, again, I'm from the country, so there ain't a lot of stuff I hadn't eaten. Now, sometimes I didn't find out I ate it until after I ate it. I'm like, man, this is good. What is this? I was overseas one time. We went to a place in Dubai, and we were really hungry. We were walking through the city, and we smelled this meat. Uh, you could smell it cooking. And We walked up, and these, it was big chunks of meat like that was, had red powder on it, and they were cooking it over a 55-gallon drum. Fine dining, for, for military folks to understand. <laughs> you know, didn't come out of the mess hall. I'm in. And we're like, man, that looks really good. So we go inside the restaurant. They give it to us with this flat pita bread, and we start eating it. And it is, I mean, like, they co- they opened it up. It looked like it was white as snow and just so juicy. Man, I started eating it. And we're like, this is really good. And, and the guy comes over, and we're like, this is really good. What is this? And he goes, he said, it's a... It's a uh, uh, He said, and one of the guys said, chicken? Yes, yes, chicken. I was like, oh, man, we ain't ain't no way this is chicken. I don't know what we're eating. I Just don't think about it. Just keep eating. All right. Said all that to say, I love all that, but that's not why it was a pleasing offering. God didn't just enjoy the smell of meat cooking. It was a pleasing aroma to the Lord for two reasons. Number one, because of the obedience to the particulars. He told them this is how to do it. And so they followed his explicit instructions, and that pleased the Lord because they were obedient to the particulars. They did it the way he told them to do it. Now, if you don't believe me, we're going to talk next week about uh, uh, two of Aaron's sons who brought strange fire. They, they tried to do it their own way, and God burned them up. Why? It was fire. It, was, it should have been a pleasing aroma. No, it wasn't because they didn't do it prescribed by the Lord. Now, the second thing is because they, he, he was—it uh, was a pleasing offering because of the obedience of the person. Their heart—they were doing this out of an act of obedience. So, not only were they following the letter, but their heart was right with God, and they were doing it in a way that would bring them into closer fellowship with God. Listen to me. Anything in your life that you're doing that you know does not bring you into a closer fellowship with Jesus, look at me. Stop. Stop trying to defend it. Stop trying to justify it. Stop it. Young people, some of you are in relationships with people who don't know Christ and you're trying to justify it. There is no such thing as missionary dating. It doesn't work. Stop it. Some of you are living lives. Some of you are doing things in your business. Some of you are looking at things on the Internet. Some of you are treating people in a certain way. Some of you are talking about people in a certain way. Stop it. What you are doing, the way you're living your life, no matter how you sing, no matter how you dress, no matter how many times you come to church, or even how much you give, listen to me, your life is not a pleasing aroma to the Lord if you're not in correct alignment with His particulars and with your person. Number two, not only are there similarities, but look at the situations that he says calls for this kind of offering. Now, by the way, we're not going to read this text for time's sake, but this is in Leviticus 7. Uh, he spells out the situations that would call for a peace offering. The first one is, A, if you're filling out your, your sheet, prayers answered. Look at Leviticus 7, 12 through 15. This was what would be referred to as a Thanksgiving offering. Uh, this is a gift as an act of kindness. Uh, it's just a, a God is so good to me, and, and I love him so much. I'm just going to give him this gift. Um, me and April have had a really strange week. Um, just a lot of things have gone on this week, and uh, and Thursday night, we were planning on going on a, a little anniversary trip Friday, and Thursday night, we were thinking, like, literally, when I went to bed Thursday night, I thought, first thing in the morning, I'm going to call the hotel and see if we can cancel. Just some things had come up, that we deal with. It. And so, Friday morning comes, and, and the situation had got a little bit better, and so we were able to, okay, we stay on path. We go on our little trip, had a great time, a great getaway. We come back. By the way, just let me throw this out there for free. You know why we didn't stay two nights? Because I don't want to miss church. That's the truth. We talked about it all the way back. I I I don't like not being here. I love you people. I love being here. I love this church. I didn't want to miss. So anyway, we come back, and 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 Saturday afternoon, we had another calamity happen. And we're trying to deal with that, and mostly April, bless her heart. She's had to deal with a lot of this. And so we have the conversation. She, I heard her say this. She goes, all I could think was, Lord, thank you this happened today and not yesterday. And can I be honest for a minute? That sounded dumb to me. Does that sound dumb to you? Like, this is a terrible thing that has happened. Thank you, Lord, that it happened today and not yesterday. See, on, a, on an earthly st- Stand, from an earthly standpoint, that, that, that just doesn't make any sense. But listen to me. When you understand the goodness of God and you understand we live in a fallen creation, you can say, God, thank you that it wasn't any worse. Thank you that it happened now when we're here to help take care of it rather than yesterday when it would have been a complete calamity when we were out of town. That's how you approach being thankful. And I'm, just, I'm not telling you get to our level because I'm telling you God has drugged us kicking and screaming to this place of being thankful that it happened today and not yesterday. That's not a, that's not a knee-jerk reaction that we have. It's something that God has fostered and grown in us through suffering. God has caused us to understand that he is so good to us, we can always find a place to be thankful. So when we have prayers answered, we give this peace offering. Here's the way it should line up. And I've got one for each of these three. We pray, God answers, we worship or we serve. And let me remind you that the Greek word for service is Latria, and it means, and me get I wrote it down, ministry or service to God. So here's the thing I want you to understand. If you went to, if you went back to the, the New Testament church time and speaking in Koine Greek, you told somebody we're going to have a service, a worship service, you would tell them, come to our Latria, Latria. out, check it. Stream of consciousness, Emily. I'm so sorry. Emily, looked at me like, oh, that's sad. <laughs> you would say Latria, Latria, and they would go, you got a stutter? You got a skip in your record? What's wrong with you? They see the words worship and service as Latria. It's the same thing. So we pray, God answers, and we, here's, this was a flow of consciousness this morning. God, we pray, God answers, and we, yes. It's what we do. We pray God answers. By the way, and y'all know, some of y'all know this better than others. I know most of you have been through some stuff. Some of you more that I, that I know more of than others. When you've been through some junk, you understand what it means to say, we pray God answers, not we pray God does what we told him to do like a good little boy. Let me remind you, God is not a cosmic butler. He's not a genie that you rub the lamp and he gives you three wishes. He is the eternal, sovereign God of the universe. You pray, he answers, you worship. Even if you don't Even if you don't agree with the answer, even if you don't like the direction, you pray, he answers, you worship. That means your yes is on the table. When you pray and God answers, you say what? Thank you, Lord. If he says no, you say thank you for not letting me do something stupid. If you pray and he answers with not yet, you say, Lord, thank you for being in my presence while I wait on your result. Second one, B. The situations that call for the peace offering would be promises assured. This is in the case of a vow offering. Think of it this way. Uh, You're going to give a gift symbolizing your commitment to a vow. Uh, this is a similar thing to giving a wedding ring. This is similar to uh, you make a promise to somebody and you give them something as a sign of your uh, promise. Uh, you would see this a couple of different times. Let me give you an Old and a New Testament. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, remember the story of Samuel? It's a really cool story if you hadn't read it lately. Uh, Samuel's mom prays. And and she's upset because she wants a child, and she hasn't had one, and she hasn't been able to have one. And and there's this interaction, and she has the child, and so she brings the child and gives him to the priest. Uh, Hannah brings Samuel and gives him to Eli, and as part of that, she gives an offering. She gives a peace offering, and it's part of her vow. We also see it in Acts 21 when Paul makes a Nazarite vow and he's coming into the, to the, the temple and he's done all the things he's supposed to do and he, he does a peace offering as part of his vow. Uh, it, it's a sign that for the, for the offerer there are no regrets and there's no turning back. There's no desire to back out of the vow that you've made to God. Uh, we promise to give. Uh, we promise to serve in ministry. We promise to go on the mission field. And, and I'm going to make a statement here and I want you to know I'm not dogmatic about it because I know it will freak some of you out. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I've been a part of churches where they say, hey, we're going to build and we want to do a challenge to build. and want you to sign this card, promising to give. You you write the amount and you sign the card and turn it in. And that's how we figure out and you've you've promised to do that. All right? I want you to hear me. I'm not outlawing that. I'm just funny. I, I think you just say, look, God has called us to this. And if you agree that God has called us to get to this, you promise to be a part of it. And if you know and we know that God has called us to it, and you promise to be a part of it, and God's going to take care of the checks. God's going God's to, he'll, he'll put the amount or he'll put your hand on it, make you sign it. He's going to take care of it. But this is what we see when we make these promises. This was the time to do a peace offering where you're offering something to God by saying, Yes, I am committed. I'm making this vow. And here's my gift to sort of seal my commitment by making this vow. Here, here's the, the thing the little run. We make a commitment to God, God hears it, and we seal it with a peace offering. Third one, a time of personal appreciation. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 16. This was a free will offering. Think of this like a just because, okay? Um, Now let me do a little meddling here this morning. Husbands, if you bring your wife a gift, and it's not her birthday or your anniversary... And she asks you immediately one of these two questions. What did you do? Or what do you want? You've got a marriage problem. <laughs> Best case scenario, you've got a communication problem. So you can just email Julie, and we'll start setting you guys up and start bringing you in. We'll start working through this. But when you bring a gift, and she thinks, what'd you do? You do too much stupid stuff. Or, if you bring her a gift, a just-because gift, and she says, what do you want? You're up to stuff too much. Ladies, y'all need to relax a little bit. Sometimes we just bring you stuff. It's okay. But this is what this kind of offering could be. You would bring a peace offering as just a just-because. Now, back to my story about this weekend. God doesn't owe me. Don't let me have to deal with this before I go on my little trip. God doesn't owe me let this happen when I'm back and we can deal with it rather than when we're not here and it's a much bigger issue. And here, I wrote this down in my notes. I want to read it so I make sure I get it right. If God never did another kind thing for me in giving his son to take my punishment for my sin, he did enough for me to be eternally appreciative. I don't love God because he gives me stuff. That's That's not the relationship we need. By the way, I don't love my wife because she gives me stuff or that she does stuff for me. I love her because I love her. I love her because I've decided, I've made a choice that I'm going to love her sacrificially as Christ loved the church until I am dead. That's the commitment that I've made. When you come to Christ, you are surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. Y'all know I'm funny about that statement, but the reason is because we have so much ambiguity about what it means to be a Christian. I prayed a prayer, I shook a preacher's hand, I got baptized one time when I was three. No, no, no. I got dedicated when I was a baby. No, no, no. Well, I was baptized as an infant. No, 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 no. We need to understand that when we say that we're a follower of Christ, that means we have surrendered our will to His. We have surrendered our lives to His. Listen to me. That means everything that you do from now until He calls you home or He returns, you are doing to serve the king. Not to serve yourself, and if he gets something out of it, great, but to serve the king. Here's the rundown for this one. And before I say this, I want you to remember the first two. The first one was, we pray, God answers, we yes. Worship, serve, whatever it is he calls us to do. The second one, we make a commitment to God, and we seal it with our worship or our yes. So you see, the first two are initiated by us. We do something, and then God does something. Here's what I want you to understand about the last one. For the personal appreciation, He is God. We are thankful. We worship. And can I just be honest with you? Really, everything that we do ought to hinge from that that standpoint. Who God is ought to be the very first part of anything that we do for Him. He is God. We are thankful that He is God. And we worship. Number three, let's talk about the shelf life. There were rules about when this meat could be eaten regarding when the offering was brought. It had to be eaten the day of or the day after the sacrifice, and anything left up after that had to be burned up. Listen, not not given to the dogs, not not thrown in the trash, not put in the Yeti. They didn't have Yetis in the first century church. Y'all wake up. (laughs) It had to be burnt up. Why? A few things. Number one, they didn't have refrigeration. So some of it was God looking out for their health. If, if we just let them keep it around, they're going to eat it and they're going to get sick. But also, God prescribed this offering as a way for them to have a fellowship meal with him. He didn't want them to eat it stale. He didn't want them to wait and linger. Number three, God knows our nature. He knows we're lazy. Remember the, the, the manna that fell in the wilderness? Remember God said, you can go out and get the manna just enough for the day? And what the, what's the first thing they did? They went out and got enough and squirreled it away, like stuffing in their cheeks like chipmunks hiding under their tent. Like, I don't want to go out tomorrow. I want to get enough for the next few days. I want to go out and work one day, and then I want to sit at the house for a few days and live off of what work I did in the past. And God said, no, that's not how service to me looks. Service to God looks like get up every day and serve the Lord. So God said, you can't, you can't hold the manna. You've got to eat the manna you pick up. Just get enough for the day, and the next day you've got to get your, your own manna, the new manna. Here's the premise We cannot live on old worship. We cannot live on old worship. Worship must be a continual part of our relationship with the Lord. And as such, we can't allow our relationship or our worship to get stale and expect that our relationship with God will stay fresh. Uh, His mercies are new every morning, right? So your worship should be also. And I'm not talking about singing songs. I'm not talking about a time in the service that we label worship when we sing. I'm talking about your reasonable act of service, as Paul says in in Romans 12. We need to understand that every day we draw breath is a day that we're to give glory to God. Most, if not every day, the first thing I do when I wake up is I pray. Laying in the bed still. Sometimes I wake up early in the morning and can't go back to sleep. I just lay there and talk to the Lord until I doze back off or until the alarm goes off. But one of the first things that I say every time is, Lord, thank you for another day to serve you. And can I tell you this? I hope that whatever my condition is in the next ten, twenty, thirty years, as long as God lets me stay here, I hope that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad my physical or mental condition gets, I hope the Lord will bless me to let me wake up in the morning, even if it's bad, and say, Lord, thank you for another day that I get to worship you. Why? Because our worship can't have a shelf life or can't be stale. We have a shelf life on our worship. Well, you don't understand. I gave to the building fund back then when we built that building. I don't don't care congratulations what do you want a trophy what are you doing today what are you planning to do for God tomorrow well this one time I shared my faith there in 1973 and this old fella come to Christ and I figured that checked that box no it didn't you were called to be a missionary every day if you woke up this morning how many of y'all woke up with a heartbeat this morning whether whether mechanically aided or otherwise I know some of y'all got a little help listen to me if you woke up with a heartbeat this morning you are on mission I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how new to the faith you are. If you woke up today serving the Lord Jesus, you have a job to do. Go make disciples. Don't let that get stale. Again, if his mercies are new every morning, my worship better be new every morning. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to try to put a bow on this for you. And I told you I'm going to ask for some patience because we're going to walk through a bunch of scriptures. There are similarities between the three offerings. There are situations where we offer the peace offering, and our worship, our our offerings cannot have or have a shelf life. They cannot get stale. And here's why Sin separates us from God. And therefore, our relationship with God must be repaired. Let's go back to Isaiah. I love this text. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Now, Isaiah here is speaking directly to the children of Israel because of their disobedience. But again, we can extrapolate and we can understand that there are are things that apply to us too. Here's what Isaiah told Israel. He says, The Lord's arm is not too weak to save, and His ear is not too deaf to hear. But. That's the very first word of verse 2. Can I just tell you, anytime we talk about how awesome God is, and then we see the word but, We're about to get taken behind the woodshed. Because he's going to say what God is, and then he's going to say, but here's where you mess up. Here's what he says. But your iniquities are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. His arm is not too weak to save. His ear is not too deaf to hear. Look at me. But you, your sin, has separated you from God. If you're here today and you've never surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, you've never submitted your life to Christ and said, I'm a sinner, which by the way surprises no one, so don't worry about saying that. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, I want you to save me. I want you to come and save me. I want you to clean me up, fix me, and I want to serve you the rest of my life because you are a good God. If you've never done that, here's the thing about your prayers they don't get above the ceiling tiles. I want you to hear that. God is not listening to your prayers if you are not his child. Until you cry out, Lord, help me. Until you cry out, Lord, save me. God does not hear your prayers. Now, if you submitted to the Lordship of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and you have known sin in your life, you are irrepentant, I'm living this way and I'm not changing, I don't care, I know what the Bible says, I don't care, I'm going to do me. Listen, you're going to do you right into the gates of hell if you're not careful. But if you're living in your life, you're professing faith in Christ, but you have sin in your life that you know of, your prayers are not getting past your sinfulness. Until you repent of those sins, you're not being heard by the Father. That's what this verse says. Your iniquities are separating you from your God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not listen. That's our condition. That's the shape we're in. And in our sinful condition, we needed God to provide a means of totally repairing our relationship in an eternal sense. Good news. He did. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. He is saying Jesus is the thing that God used, the person that God sent to repair your broken relationship. Romans 5, 8 through 11, It says that God proved his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I've done this a thousand times. I'm going to do it again. This is God over here on the battlefield. When you were, before you came to Christ, this was you. You were on the opposite side of the battlefield from Almighty God. And you were waging war against him by giving in to your flesh and your sin. And at that moment, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. How much more then, Paul goes on to say, since we have now been justified by His blood, will we be saved through Him from wrath? While we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. How much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received this Reconciliation, that word in the Greek is katalage. And it means, listen, exchange, restoration to the divine favor or atonement. Remember, go back to the Hebrew, make atonement, kafar, to reconcile. In the Greek, katalage, which means to exchange, to be restored to divine favor or atonement. You see, not only has Christ reconciled us to himself, God has reconciled us to himself through Christ for all eternity, but he has then put the responsibility on us to make sure everybody else experiences that eternal reconciliation as well. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of atonement. That is, in Christ, God who was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You are representatives of Jesus Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's a lot of what I do every Sunday. I am pleading on behalf of God for you to let go of yourself, let go of your pride, let go of your sin, let go of your past, let go of your shame, and take hold of Christ. Why? Because he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That is the gift Matt Chandler says it this way, we are reconciled first to God in Christ, then to one another in covenant community, and third, to what God is doing in the renewal of all creation. You see, we are to model lives of reconciliation as part of our mission here on earth. One way we do that is by our worship and our service being offered to God like this peace offering we just talked about in Leviticus 3, to make sure that we stay in a right relationship with God. Listen to me, if your relationship with God has never cost you anything, how do you know it's there? How do you know it's real? It's never cost you anything. There are countries where if you tell somebody you're a Christian, they can have you arrested or murdered or stoned, but that's not the country we live in, so why are you not sharing your faith? Again, I go back to this. We talked about it before. If I'm an Alabama fan and I can tell you every championship they ever won and every Heisman Trophy and every quarterback and every coach, I'm a diehard fan. But if I'm a Christian and I can't tell you that I've ever shared my faith, do you not see a problem with that? If you can tell me more about your favorite team or your favorite hobby, then you can Jesus Christ and you claim he's your Savior. Hebrews 13, 15, therefore through him, talking about Jesus, he says, Let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. 1 John 1, 3, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. If you don't know Christ, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you say, Well, I came to church, I didn't know I was going to be jumped on. You're welcome. If you don't know Christ, you must be reconciled to God. And the only way to do that is to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. That's it. There's no man upstairs and me and the big guy and me and God have our own deal. There's not another deal. There is the new covenant in the blood of His Son, Jesus. If you've never surrendered to Christ, I would plead. I would beg. If you've surrendered to Christ, but you're allowing known sin to remain in your life, number one, it is hindering your relationship with God immensely. And number two, you need reconciliation as as well. If you're not living a life that models reconciliation, you say, Well, I don't have any known sin. I've given my life to Christ. I don't have any known sin. But if you're not living a life that models reconciliation, again, you are ambassadors for Christ. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. If you're not doing that, then you're not fulfilling the mission God left you on earth to fulfill. And you need reconciliation today. You need to be reconciled to God. You need to be reconciled to others so that you can say what Paul said in Romans 12, 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The invitation, as always, is is one of obedience, and today's no different. If you're here today, you've never come to faith in Christ, you've never truly surrendered your life to Him, your purposes are now His, then I would beg you to do that today. I want you to know the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that can only be found in a relationship with King Jesus. If you've done that and you're living sinful behavior that you're letting separate you from god i would beg you to repent of that today just tell tell god you don't want to live that way anymore you want to give that to him be reconciled you've got issues between you and another brother sister in christ you're allowing that to damage your relationship with them therefore damage your witness i would encourage you to be reconciled to that individual today and thereby be reconciled in your relationship to god here's the point for our invitation time. Whatever it is that God is laying on your heart to do right now, you have one opportunity to be instantly obedient. My hope and my prayer is that you will take that opportunity today. Whatever that is, only you know it's between you and God. But I would beg you to be obedient to what God is calling you to do today. Would you stand with me? I'm going to say a short prayer. When I say amen, you move. If you need to come profess faith in Christ, you need to rededicate your life, move your letter, join the church. You just need to go talk to somebody and say, hey, I'm sorry. I don't want there to be a problem between us because I want to be a minister of reconciliation. I'm going to pray when I say amen. That's your call to move. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the power of your word and the truth in it. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that brings conviction on me when I'm out of line. I pray, Lord, today that same conviction would be in this room for those who don't know you, that you would convict them of their sinfulness of need for you those who profess faith in you but are not living out that faith, I pray you would convict that. God, there's broken relationships, I pray you would bring conviction there. Most of all, God, my prayer today is that you would allow us the strength, the courage to be instantly obedient to what your spirit is moving us to do. And we'll give you praise for it in Christ's name. Amen.